rented up until this time, and I know don't throw stuff at me, but we've rented for all this time in our marriage, and we've got finally got to a place where we want to, to buy a house, and so we, we contacted one of our friends and started the conversation with, with him about what it looks like to either buy or build, and the market like it is, man, it's hard to, to buy a house. It's very competitive, and so we kind of leaned towards the idea of building a house, and like I said, I've never bought a house. I've never built a house, nothing. All of these words that they're throwing at me with these 12 syllables are way more than I understand. And so as I'm sitting talking with Stephen, he goes, hey, when we're doing this, we're looking for this land, we want to avoid anything with wetlands in it. Okay. I was like, Stephen, I, I, I've got a couple degrees. I, I understand what wetlands is. It's land that's wet. But what, do you, what does it mean? And if you've built a house, you know someone that built a house, you want to kind of avoid that because it makes it hard to build a foundation on. Sometimes may even make it impossible to build a foundation or you have to bring in a ton of dirt to be able to do it. And even then, sometimes you have to pay higher premiums and higher insurance and all this stuff, stuff I didn't understand. My wife did, so we were good. And so as I began to process this, I was like, well, I don't want a foundation in my house that could be kind of sketchy, right? I don't want to build a house on something that's sketchy. Because a foundation in a house is important. Well, in 1923, the Imperial Hotel had been destroyed in Tokyo, Japan, and Frank Lloyd Wright was championed with building a new Imperial Hotel. And Frank Lloyd Wright, if you know anything about Tokyo, it's a very, um, it's the most earthquake-prone city in the world, one of the most earthquake-prone cities in the world. And so Frank didn't just start throwing brick and mortar together to start building a hotel just like he'd do with a Lego set. He did his research. He asked questions. He researched. He asked people who had built stuff, hey, what are some mistakes and pitfalls that you ran into that I want to try and avoid? And he ultimately came up with the idea that if he could build his foundation on 60 foot of mud, it would make his foundation survive the earthquake. It would act as a shock absorber when an earthquake happened. And as soon as it was completed in 1923, shortly thereafter, there was an earthquake that was greater than they'd had in the last 52 plus years. Frank's hotel stood while smaller, less established buildings crumbled around them because Frank understood that the foundation was important. You get that right and your building can stand, your building can withstand the earthquakes that are gonna come around it. But we're not talking about physical foundations. We're talking about a spiritual foundation this morning. So I wanna ask you a couple of questions just to get us started. Kind of get us to lean in a little bit to the tension of the moment is, do you have a spiritual foundation in your life that can withstand the earthquakes that are gonna come? Do you know how to or are you currently working on establishing a foundation in your life spiritually that's going to withstand earthquakes? Because here's the reality. Is earthquakes are coming. It's not a question of if earthquakes of pain, loss, drama, trauma are going to happen. It's a, it's a matter of when when we're going to lose someone, when we're going to face a lost job, when we're going to face a pandemic, when things are going to happen that shake us to our very core, do we have a foundation we can stand on? If we don't have it and we don't know how to build it, what about our kids? How are they going to be able to establish and build one on their own if they don't see it modeled and have to ask questions to their parents? And don't get me wrong, I'm not standing up here as holier than now and that I know everything because I ask myself these questions all the time. 
every day I get up, I'm like, do I have the spiritual foundation, the maturity right now in my faith to be able to withstand some of the tornadoes, some of the earthquakes that are gonna come at me today? Because we've all faced those throughout our lives. These students that are graduating, they're gonna face some bigger earthquakes than they've ever seen in their life to this point. Do they have a spiritual foundation that will withstand that? It's important to me as a parent that I raise my kids. I have two kids. I have a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old that I start to teach them what it looks like to have a foundation that is solid enough to stand when the earthquakes of drama and loss come. We recently lost my dad to COVID-19 back in October. And I was able to stand on a foundation that was solid and was able to bring my son into that because I want to raise good humans. I want to raise kids that know right from wrong, good behaviors from bad behaviors. I want to raise kids that understand what it means to respect adults and to respect their peers because those earthquakes, those times to stand on God's word and God's morality that he teaches us through his word are coming. They come for you. They come for me. They can come at any point in time. One of the times where I found really a time to stand on my faith was when I was in college. It was my junior year. And I had committed to my life to the Lord. I was going to go into ministry. I was going to actually go on to seminary after I graduated high or college. And so I was like, I was at school. I was like, let me go ahead and get that ball going. I'm going to go to ahead and take a couple of religious classes. And I could only get one at the time. And, and so I go into this, this class pretty naive. I go into this class thinking it's going to be with people that believe like me, that talk like me, that love Jesus like I do. But here's the the thing you don't know is I went to a public university, Mississippi State University, and they don't believe like I do in a lot of areas. I had a professor who didn't believe like I believed in this class. I had kids sitting in that class around me that didn't believe the way that I believed, that didn't love Jesus the same way that I love Jesus. And it was a moment where I had to ask myself, do I have a foundation strong enough to stand? Because if I don't, I could be swayed one way or the other, away from Jesus. And so I took a few days and I kind of reflected back and I prayed and God says, I've given you my spirit to stand firm and I want you to go in there. I want you to be a light in that class. And I wasn't disrespectful, I wasn't argumentative, but I went in there and I was a light for Jesus in a class that was full of people who didn't look like me, talk like me, or believe like me. Why is that important? Why is it important to have a firm foundation? Because those times are coming, and here's the reality for that. If we don't have a firm foundation, our convictions in life won't be either. If our spiritual foundation is not firm, our convictions to stand for God won't be either. It starts with having people around us that can pour into us. I love having Tracy up here leading worship on graduation Sunday because she is one of my biggest leaders in student ministry. She's been with the graduating class for three years now. She's tracked with them through life. She's done life with them together. And she loves them and she's poured into them and she's helped to establish their foundation so that when they go off to school or they go off to a trade or when they go off to whatever is next for them, they will be able to reflect back on that foundation that this community poured into them because community, when it comes to our building our foundation, is crucial. I had a preacher one time say to me that it's not the fact that you're more than likely to be impacted by your environment than you are to impact your environment. 
And what he was saying 16 years ago to this see you at the poll rally to these students, he was trying to say, it matters who you put around you. It matters who your friends are. It matters what they believe and how they live. It matters for you and it matters for me. Because a foundation that's firm in Jesus is ultimately a foundation that is based off of love. And if you're one of my small group leaders or you're one of my students, you know where we're going with this next statement. I believe that we should love God with everything we have and that we should love people. And that is how love works. And we're going to see that truth in scripture this morning. If you want to grab your Bibles, if you don't have one, man, there's one in the chair back in front of you. We're going to be in the book of Matthew and, and John this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that one with you, or you can jump on the YouVersion app if you're tech savvy, like some of, some of my students are, and you can jump in there. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, and I love this passage because Jesus has just been asked by the teachers of the law, hey, what, what's the greatest commandment? And see, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and all of these guys were always trying to trip Jesus up. They were always trying to find something to hold against him so that they could kind of bring him down in the eyes of the people that followed him. Eventually they could arrest him and find something to get him off the streets and get him to stop doing what he was doing. And so they ask him this question, and this is how Jesus replies in chapter 22, verse 37. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He points them right back to what they would know. Remember, they're teachers of the law, so he's pointing them back to the law that says you should love God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with everything you have. Love him fully, all in. And he doesn't let them get a word in. He doesn't let them even, even utter a phrase, and he doesn't miss a beat. And he says the second is equally important. If you notice, they didn't ask for two. They only asked for one. But Jesus always goes above and beyond. He says, let me tell you this. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets that you know are based off of these two commands. This is God's word. I love what Jesus does right here because he says, when you love God with everything you have, you also have to love people. And I wanna take that phrase real quick, love your neighbor as yourself. I wanna look at two words if we can this morning. First word is yourself. And so I'm not gonna speak for you, I'll speak for me. I love me some me. I'm a big fan of me. And so when I read that phrase, I'm like, okay, so, so if I love me, I've got to love my neighbor just like I love me. Okay, I can do that. I, I like my neighbor. He's a nice guy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying your neighbor is the people that don't necessarily look like you, walk like you, talk like you, vote like you, live like you. Your neighbor is anyone that has breath. Spoiler, that's everybody. Jesus says when we love God with everything we have, and we turn around, we love people in the same fashion. That's when love works. What does a spiritual foundation look like? It looks like we love God and we love people. It also looks like an attitude and a posture of worship. It's a foundation based off of worship. I love what we do up here on, on Sunday mornings. I love what we do on Wednesday nights with our students. We, we sing songs. That is absolutely worship. When we go to these concerts for Elevation Bethel, Crowder, we play a hymn, whatever you find as worship and singing, that is absolutely worship. But so many times as a culture, we've gotten kind of tunnel vision that that's what worship is. But worship is so much more than that. 
Worship is how we pray, how we talk to God, how we invest in that relationship. Worship is how we take communion with a reverent heart and reflect on the sins that we have in our life and ask God to forgive those because of what he did on the cross. And I love how Jesus teaches this principle as well in John chapter four. I love this passage of scripture where he goes out of his way for a divine appointment. He doesn't have to be where he is. He could have gone a different direction. In fact, he went a longer way to get where he was for this divine schedule appointment with the woman at the well. And what you need to know culturally about this situation is that men and women weren't supposed to talk in, in public like they are, like Jesus is going to do right here. And Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. They didn't love their neighbor as themselves. And so for Jesus, a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman was extremely taboo. It was extremely radical, but that's who Jesus was. In John chapter 4, this is what Jesus says. He says to her, believe me, dear woman, a time is coming when you will no longer, will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on the mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming and indeed is here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who worship him in this way. Jesus says, you know what you need to do to have a firm foundation? Worship has to be a lifestyle. When we look up that word and the, the actual lifestyle, it's not a day, it's not a Sunday, it's not a Monday, it's not a Tuesday, it's, it's an everyday thing. It's, it's who you are, it's what you do, it's how you act, it's how you treat people. It's your foundation showing an attitude of worship. The last thing that I, I really kind of think that kind of gets us started on, a, on building a foundation in the Lord is that we are called to, to the light and we're called to be the light. We are called to the light of Jesus, as he's described in scripture. If we were to turn all the lights off in this room, it would be darkness in this room. With one light, if I was to pull my phone out and turn the flashlight on, in that moment, darkness ceases to exist. Yeah, there's going to be shadows. It's going to be harder to see. But with that light, I can navigate through this room. Even with the lights on now, there's shadows, but there's no darkness. Darkness doesn't, doesn't exist where there's light. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 5. And I love how he starts this. I just went to an orange conference with our family ministry. And you get all these breakout sessions that are just, can be super boring sometimes, super intriguing to other times. But it all depends on how the, the communicator starts. And so they all get up there and like, hi, my name is Todd. This is the, the breakout you're in. And this is my credentials, yada, yada, yada. That's how they generally always, always start. But this guy started our last session super Super cool. He walks in, he goes, welcome champions of culture. It fired me up. I was like, yeah, I'm a champion of culture. Let's go. And that's what Jesus does right here. He looks at the crowd and he goes, you are the light of the world. He could have stopped right there, but he, he could see some confusion on the faces. He said, let me illustrate it for you because I know we've got some slow learners around me, so I'm going I'm to tell you this. He goes, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Still not with me? Okay, Jesus says, I'll go further. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine 
before others that they may see the good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus could have said, you are the light of the world, and then skipped down and said, in the same way, let your light shine before others. But he didn't. He illustrated that point. And I want to do the same thing this morning because I think it's important that we get this. Jesus said, we're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither does someone light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but they light it and they put it where it can be seen. But here's the thing. It's still pretty dark in here, even with this light. So this is what I want to ask the audience participation. If you have a cell phone, why don't you go ahead and pull it out and turn your flashlight on for me. Just kind of hold it up. See how the dynamics of the room just changed? Because when we work together to light up our world for Jesus, our foundation gets even more solid. It becomes even more substantial for us to stand on. You guys can put your phones down. Thank you. Guys, you can bring the lights back up. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the champions of the light. Go and share Jesus with your world. Go and show others the light of Jesus by a firm foundation that you stand for what you believe in. When we don't have a firm foundation, our convictions won't be firm either. What would it look like if the church, Big C Church, I did that backwards, Big C Church, what would it look like if we worked together like we just did with our lights and we started to share Jesus with our world by the way we worshiped with a lifestyle of love? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. God, just for who you are and what you do for us. God, I thank you that, God, that you've continued to put people around me like Ken Hall, Andy Yarbrough, Ross Runnels, Adam Levine, people that pour into me and help me establish my foundation, lift me up as opposed to push pull me down. And God, I pray for everyone in this room, God, that we would, we would wrestle with that question this morning in our own lives. Is, do we have a spiritual foundation that would ultimately stand, withstand the earthquakes that are going to come in our life? God, I love you. God, I pray for our students that are graduating and the families that they represent. God, I pray that you would just, God, you would bless them in the next phase of their life. God, I pray that you would bless us as a church as we come beside them, that they're not graduating from us. They're just graduating from high school, that we want to be a big part of their life and a big part of helping them establish and, and build their foundation in you. In your holy name we pray.